Welcome to the Gerald Brooks Leadership Podcast, a deep dive into biblical leadership with pastor and author, Dr. Gerald Brooks. Hi, this is Pastor Gerald Brooks. Thank you so much for joining me for another podcast. I hope that so far your year has just gone uh, very well and that you're having a great time. Hey, um, today I want to talk to you about leading through change. Leading through change. You know, if you're going to be a leader, then one of the things you're going to have to lead through is change moments. What do those look like and what do those feel like? When change is taught on a very sophisticated level, uh, there are many degrees of change. But basically, there are four types of change that people have to become proficient in. Uh, The first one is what is called situational change. Now, situational change is probably the most common kind of change. It involves the fact that uh, people just literally do things and don't do things, and it creates problems. And so situational change would just be, what is the problem that's been brought to your desk today, brought to your attention today? That's situational change. And that's the majority of all change. Now, if you can handle situational change, what they will call you is they'll call you a good manager. But then there's another kind of change, which is a little bit more difficult, and that is it's called system change. And system change is designed to uh, create better efficiency. So in business, it could be uh, the bookkeeping department, the accounting department, that maybe there's a way for information to come in and how it is distilled and who it's distilled so that the work can be more efficient. But system change is the kind of change that uh, is needed in organizations because organizations uh, carry a lot of residue with them. And especially the longer the organization's been going, it'll begin to pick up uh, just the, the, the weight and the mass of activity. It'd be similar to a ship. A ship is always going to pick up barnacles underneath and underneath the water, there's going to be growth that's going to happen that just begins to be a drag. And so occasionally companies and uh, organizations need to create systemic or system changes. Then there's style changes, and and style changes are the kind of things that become a little bit uh, more evident to others, or, or maybe it's a style change to become a little bit more current. Uh, I know that there's an ice cream um, company that is very well known that uh, my wife and I will occasionally go to and grab some ice cream. But one of the things that they were announcing is uh, the ice cream may not look like the ice cream you're used to looking at because we're going to eliminate all kind of artificial colors, anything that makes the chocolate look more chocolatey or vanilla look more vanilla and strawberry more strawberry. We're going to take that out. And what were they saying? We're changing the style. It's not really changing the ice cream. The ice cream's the ice cream. It's going to change how it looks. And so to the appearance, it may look different, but what they're saying is it will be better. And so there's style change, and then there's structure change. And structure change is probably uh, the most intensive kind of change because seldom do you change structure that it doesn't cause the elimination of people. And so... If you just look at the 30,000 feet 
uh, down look at change, what you come across is their situational change, just problems of the day-to-day. If you're good at handling that, people let you manage things. Uh, systemic change where you just begin to change uh, systems. And people will begin to say, well, hey, you're, you're an expert in this style change. Uh, you're staying current. And then structure changes where you're just sort of revamping something. You're taking the load walls of an organization and saying, uh, we're going to take those load walls out, but we're going to surprise. Uh, support the load somewhere else. And so those are the four kind. Now, let me take you a step further. Uh, Biblically, if you lead organizations like I lead that have a spiritual value to them, our model that we're given is the book of Acts. Now, in the book of Acts, you see uh, the invention by God of what is called the church on the day of Pentecost. And on the day of Pentecost, there was the first outpouring that resulted in the first altar calls that resulted in the first people uh, beginning to consolidate themselves together. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 47, the very first uh, cultural descriptions of a church began to be happening. But the interesting thing is, is that uh, when you study the book of Acts, you see these segments of change that happen Uh, from Acts chapter two to Acts chapter six. Uh, there is dynamic change that occurs, and it's summed up in Acts chapter 6, where there were some disappointments with how the organization was facilitating the needs of a certain group of people, and because of that, they made a change, and that is they began to develop the team at a level and depth, and so uh, the leaders of the church in Jerusalem said, find you seven men of good report. And so what you're seeing is the initial changes of being uh, a new organization where you're beginning to add structure to the organization so that the organization can be more efficient and relate to the needs. So Acts 2 to Acts 6, you see a change and that change is going to be in how they define the team the responsibilities of the team, the orientation of the team, what the team is to do, and how that team begins to play out. Well, if you go from Acts chapter 6 to Acts chapter 8, you again see change. But this isn't interior change, it's exterior change. And the exterior change looks like this. It says, and there was great persecution upon the church, and they went everywhere. For the first time, the church at Jerusalem is beginning to extend outward, but it wasn't an extension that was planned. It was an extension that was compelled, and it was compelled by the persecution that was happening in Jerusalem. So the church knew if we are going to have our well-being, we've got to venture out. So just imagine in business, a business starts succeeding, and then all of a sudden they say, well, this success is great, but there's some adversity, some headwinds right now. So what we're going to do is we're going to create franchises. And so you go from team building to franchise creation where they went everywhere preaching the gospel. And then from Acts chapter 8 to Acts chapter 13, you begin to see another kind of change. And and that change is more uh, 
emissions change. Uh, the church had been extending out because of pressure that was upon it. But in Acts chapter 13, it's no longer because of circumstances, but now it is a culture. And so in Acts chapter 13, it says, separate for me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work whereunto I've called them. They're going to begin to send out, not because there's pressure, not because there's circumstances, but because of the life flow of them wanting to extend uh, the gospel to places that it had never been. So you see team change, you see circumstantial change, you see mission change, and then you come to Acts 13 to 15, and you see doctrinal change. And the doctrinal change centered around Gentiles that were coming into the church, what would be expected of them, what would not be expected of them, and what was required. And so when you begin to look, what you see is you see a church that was always changing, a church that was changing its team, a church that was changing because of circumstances, a church that was changing because it defined its mission clearer, and a church that was changing and that it understood what it was to believe better. So the very example God gave us of the first church is an example for all other churches, and that is in ministry, there will be change. So if you do what I do, you know that if you're going to lead that organization, one of the paramount areas you have to lead them in is that you have to lead them through change. Now, all that being said to you, four kinds of of change from the 30,000-foot level, uh, series of changes in the book of Acts. Leadership just demands that you have the skills of change. Now, let me just interject this. I have a great friend. His name's Mike Caminetti. He's in Canton, Ohio, and he was adjusting some things within his church. Why? Because churches change. Circumstances change. Life changes. Everything changes. And he went back and he grabbed an old outline of mine, and he used it as the basis for walking his team through how to navigate a period of change where they're going to change something that they've always done, and now they're going to do it different, and how they're going to take what they've done and do it differently. Well, how do you initiate that kind of change? And uh, he basically took an old outline of mine, and he used that as the basis. Well, to be honest with you, uh, I think I think it's safe to say I have 600 uh, different outlines on the subject of leadership from all perspectives. So sometimes some of my old outlines sound new to me. And um, that just has to do with I've taught them so often and so long. So when he said that, I started looking at this outline again. And when I looked at this outline, I said, wow, maybe it could be helpful the way it helped Mike. Maybe it could help some other people leading change. So I want to walk you through the keys to change just some of the keys to change and and to understand that when you're initiating change, uh, whether it's going to be change because of, of circumstances or change because of team or change because of whatever, uh, that you would be able to say, this is the toolbox that at least I need to look at first to say, how does this play in to what we're trying to do? So, keys to change. Number one, anytime you change, you've got to change people's focus. You have to change people's focus. So, one of the 
key skills for a leader is can you get people to see what they haven't seen before? Now, she is a leader. You see sooner than others. You see more than others. And you see further than others. But in the midst of that, how do you begin to exercise change? Well, one, you have to change people's focus. Well, if you're going to change people's focus, then you're going to have to begin to utilize something that is very, very important, and that is you've got to be able to cast vision. Vision is how you create focus for change. Vision is how you create focus for change. So the Bible just talks a lot about vision. Um, You go back to the book of Proverbs and it says, you know, uh, without a vision, the people perish. And so there's got to be this visionary capacity uh, for people to be able to see, to be able to understand. And without a vision, there's something that's being lost. Well, we know in Habakkuk, write the vision upon the wall, make it plain that all that run, can you create a vision that people can grasp it quickly? Because all who run by, not walk by, not studying it, but run by can see. So people in a hurry, can you get it? Well, here's the thing. Vision is the ability to help people see the future and to see that it's brighter than what they're doing in the present. And so you've got to cast vision. Now, vision skills, I've talked in depth about them so many times. Um, But you've got to put words to the vision. So what are the words? One of the words that we use around here is at Grace Outreach Center. Uh, We do youth and children's ministry and adult care is also provided. Well, that phrase puts words to a vision that a part of our vision is to be effective with kids. Well, at Grace Outreach Center, we create an environment for the lost to be saved and the saved to serve. Well, what are we doing in a very concise way? We're trying to create vision. It's not only that you put words to a vision, but you put a face to a vision. And the face to a vision is basically, here is an example of this vision being played out. So one time, uh, we literally on our stage had dozens and dozens and dozens of people of all ages, of all background, we're literally, uh, we're beginning to put people to the vision. And it all started where the first person said, I got saved at uh, Grace Kids. Next one, I got saved at Grace Kids. So you have a mother saying she got saved at Grace Kids, a daughter saying they got saved at Grace Kid. And it just went on and on. All these people saying I got saved at Grace Kids and just adding a little deal. And then it ended with a man whose son had been a part of our children's department, but had passed away. And he said, my son got saved at Grace Kids. Well, what did we do? We put the vision to people, and you not only put the vision to people, uh, but you begin to put stories so the vision can be learned. So if you're going to create change, you've got to be able as best you can to change people's focus, to help them see what they haven't seen, and to see it better than they see 
what they're seeing right now. It's not only that, uh, but you have to change their attitude. And a change of attitude is this. Can you help people to think like they haven't thought before? Can you help people to think like they haven't thought before? So in the Bible, it says, let this mind be in you. Let this attitude be in you. It's a way of thinking. It's a way of processing. So where vision helps people to see what they haven't seen, you've also got to change attitudes so people think what they haven't thought. And so one of the ways you do that is you bring up questions before they bring them up and say, well, if we do this, this is going to be a question you'll have. Let me tell you the answer. Well, if we do this, this is another question that you have. You've got to change the attitude. You've got to answer as many questions on the front end as you can. Now, the truth of the matter is, is whenever you're initiating change, you can't answer all the questions, but you can answer the most important questions. And so you're asking questions and you're answering questions at the same time. Why? Because you're getting people to think what they haven't thought before. Because if you don't answer questions, they're going to have questions that they may ask or they may not ask. And if you don't answer the questions, they'll keep thinking what they've always thought, which will prevent the change from happening. And so... You want to create a change of attitude. And whenever you change attitude, where in the first part you change with vision, the second one you change by giving value. And what value does is it changes their thinking because people want to know not only what are we doing, that's vision, but why are we doing it, that's value. And so you want to begin to create the value equation by taking away the negatives, creating the positive. This is why we do it. This is the upside. This is why we're trying to do it. We are doing it based on this. But it's not just a change of of focus and a change of attitude, but you also have to have a change of commitment. Anytime you initiate change, you're asking people to change their commitment. You're asking them that we're committed to X to now be committed to Y. And so in the change of commitment, you're trying to create buy-in. So when you create buy-in, you first of all do it by showing them what they haven't seen and teaching them to think what they haven't thought. But now you need to teach them to have actions that they haven't had before. So if we're going to buy into this, we've got to be able to say, hey, instead of this schedule that we've always been on, we're now going to do it on this schedule. This is going to require some adjustments, but the adjustments aren't severe. We're just going to buy into it. So when that gets said, here's what we know. We know that vision begins to help us see Value helps us to think, but commitment helps us to do. And so you've got to begin to work people through that. And so you have the change of focus, you have the change of attitude, you have the change of commitment, and then you have change from the past. 
It is amazing to me how desperately people will hold on to yesterday. In fact, it's interesting that they say in history uh, that the most played song recorded in different versions is the Beatles song, Yesterday. That everyone loves yesterday. See, there's something about yesterday that we sanitize it. We take the pressure out of it. We take the problems out of it. And we see yesterday as being perfect. We see tomorrow as being problematic. So that's why Jesus said, don't use tomorrow's energy on today. Because tomorrow's going to have its own issues. But getting people to let go of the past. As I like to put it, most people drag a U-Haul behind them. And yet the Bible says letting go of any weight, anything that begins to limit you and hold you back. And so uh, people have to let go. And so a lot of people have a hard time saying no to the past. They just can't look at it and wave and say, hey, this isn't me any longer. What I can tell you is if the past was good, honor it. If the past was bad, forget it. But the past cannot be your future or you will miss God. Because behold, God does a new thing. Forget the former things. And what I found is most people have very good memories when it comes to the past. And what they struggle with is the ability to forget. Yeah, we've always done it a certain way. But doing it that way isn't the way we want to keep doing it. And so changing people from the past. And so getting people to have courage. If you're going to let go of the past, you have to have courage to embrace the future. The courage to take a step you've never taken. To live a behavior you've never lived. To accept a value that you've never accepted. To begin to navigate ahead. So, you've got to change people from the past. And with most of them, you've got to honor the past. Tell them how good it was. Tell them how great it was. But tell them now God wants to do something different. And so, recreation is sometimes the challenge. As I like to tell people, uh, creation took seven days. Redemption took 2,000 years. It always takes longer to recreate than create. But the simple truth of the matter is, is most of us are in an environment where we have to learn to recreate things, which means we let go of the past. And then there has to be a change of heart. And the change of heart is different. See, I can change someone's focus, but they can look back. In fact, Jesus talked about this. Once you set your hand to the plow, he says, don't look back. I can talk about values, but a lot of people will vacillate on their values. And so their attitude. But what you want to do is you want to make change permanent. And there has to be a place that it becomes permanent. In sports, they call it muscle memory where you've done something long enough that you now have the ease of doing it repeatedly because your muscles are used to doing it. Your muscles are used to doing it. 
there has to be a change of heart. And that is that you've now got people committed that they'll live this way. And so a part of the change of heart comes when you start talking about results. See, on the front side, you talk about vision. This is what could happen. But on the back side, you talk about results. This is what has happened. And when you can get from a vision that compels them to results that inspire them, you begin to create a change of heart. It's no longer vision. It's now this is working. So in change, you're going to have to change people's focus. In change, you're going to have to change people's attitude. In change, you're going to have to change people's commitments. In change, you're going to have to change people from the past. And in change, you're going to have to change people's hearts. Now, these aren't easy skills. And depending on what you're changing and the length of time and the timeline you're changing, uh, these skills come into play. And what I would say to you as a leader is get ahead. When time's on your side, it's easier to change. The less time you have, the more loss you have. And so if you have to initiate change where you don't have a lot of time, just be understanding you will experience some loss. So let me illustrate it this way. In 2008, when the economy went down, one day I woke up in May and I knew I had to make changes. And those changes were going to be immediate and impactful. And those impactful moments were going to impact a whole lot of people. Now, I didn't have a lot of time because we were burning up our revenue that we had stored up. And so I had to make changes quick. And what that meant was quick change requires more loss. Long change requires less loss. So always change when time's on your side. And if you don't have time on your side, be committed to the change and know that that's the change you need to make. I hope this maybe gave you a little bit of a template, a playbook uh, for your leadership. Uh, that being said, I want to thank all of you. Hey, um, could you do me a favor? We have roundtables coming up in uh, Florida and in Rancho Cucamonga, and then we have them in Albuquerque. And I just want to encourage you, if you know people who really want to develop their leadership journey, uh, just let them know about that. They can go to Gerald Brooks Ministries and find out. And then I have all these resources out there. I just did a meeting today for a group of people. And um, the old book I did, uh, Pain Threshold, it was amazing how many people began to pull that out and say that's helping them. And it's really because you've got to understand your pain threshold but you have to understand your team's pay, uh, pain threshold. And if you're married, you have to understand your husband's and wife's pain threshold. And in that book, I talk about eight things that you have to do when your pain, thro pain threshold is different from those close to you. So that could be a good book, but look them all over. Hey, thank you again for taking a journey. Thank you for telling so many people about this. Uh, I pray that your new year is going to continue to get better and better. Thank you so much. 
Thank you for listening to the Gerald Brooks Leadership Podcast. If you'd like more information on Dr. Brooks's books, audio, or speaking engagements, please go to geraldbrooksministries.com.